such an honor to be here. It's such an honor to be with you. And uh, today, like Pastor Ryan said, we're in installment number two. Installment number two of our Vintage Jesus series, you know, being able to spot the fake Jesus. And this next fake Jesus that we will bring to you today, I actually have a very special relationship with this Jesus. I do. Can I tell you a confession? We're at church, so I feel like I have to confess something to you. Me and Prosperity Gospel Jesus used to be very close. We did, you know? And I remember when I was, uh, I was, I was 22 years old, and I had just gotten my first worship leading gig at a, at, a, at a fairly large church. And I'd come from like, you know, like a really small local church. My dad is a pastor, like I said, and you know, we grew up poor. We grew up very, very poor, you know? The prosperity gospel wasn't really around when I was growing up, you know? And uh, we grew up very poor, and I looked at my dad. He would work 80 hours a week for no money. We could barely afford pasta. We, uh, whenever we were at the grocery store, I would always try to ask my dad, oh, can I get a candy bar? Can I get this? Can I get that? And the answer was always no, because we just couldn't afford it. And now here I am at this beautiful church, this beautiful, giant church that would service about 5,000 people on any given Sunday. They had the cool fog machine. <laughs> they had the cool lights. The pastor wore a V-neck. You know, it was one of those places. And I just thought to myself, what kind of church is this place? This is like, this is not like Mammy and Pappy's church. What is this place? And I fell really into the, in, into the materialism of it. And I'm sure there are a lot of you folks that may have been at larger churches that may have, uh, may have a similar story, but I fell into the materialism of it. And I remember, you know, talking with my senior pastor, having, like, these really great conversations about, like, oh, yeah, Jezekiel, you know, church isn't like that anymore. You don't have to be poor at church. I'm not poor. I make six figures. Most worship pastors make $75,000 a year. You can, you can have God and you can have money. You can have it all. And like, you know, as, as, a, as a somewhat thoughtful person, I thought to myself, well, that's, that, that doesn't seem all the way right, but it doesn't matter. He's, he seems cool. I'm cool with that. I want to make money. I want to love God. Let's go ahead and do this. And I just was getting really, really entrenched into, into this idea. And I remember he was always constantly telling me, look, the Lord wants you to enjoy your life. The Lord wants you to enjoy more. The Lord wants you to be rich. The Lord wants you to be healthy. The Lord wants all of these amazing things for you. You get to live your best life with Jesus. And again, you know, you ever, by a show of hands, have you ever like dated somebody and like while you were in it, <laughs> It, they, they could do no wrong. And then, like, years later, you break up. And years later, you, you process it. And you look back on it. And you're like, oh, my goodness. What was I thinking? Who was that person? The, you know, that was me dating prosperity gospel Jesus. Like, we were very, very in this dance. And I was so excited about it. And I was so, like, I was so ready. I, I remember I was just, like, thinking about the, the house I would have you know, the beautiful wife I would have, the amazing wealth that I would accumulate as I'm passionately serving the Lord. Because like, you know, I'm just one of those dorks who loves church. I'll be honest. 
I'm one of those dorks who loves church. I've always loved church. I haven't always loved God, but I've always loved church because I believe in it. I believe in the power of it. I believe in the power of all of us coming together. I believe in the power of, you know, what happens in this room as we raise our hands for worship. I believe in the power of the pastor saying exactly the thing that they're supposed to say to you in that moment, and it changes your life. I believe in that. I do. I hope you do too. But at the same time, oh, Man, a lot of my church upbringing had a lot of these healthy narratives, unhealthy narratives, around prosperity. And it was only until my wife, who is just the smartest, greatest person in the world, decides to move us out to Arizona, was I finally able to break free from it. And I found a really, really thoughtful church called One Church. Hey, I'm sure there's some One Church OGs in here. And that's what brought us to the well. And now I'm here with you. And I'm not rich. But I feel rich. I'll be honest. And I'm not even just saying that. That's not, that's not, that, I'm very poor. Like, look at my bank account. I'm very poor. But I don't feel poor. Because being poor, it's a state of mind. I want you to know that. You know. But all that to say, when I think about my time with the prosperity gospel, the biggest part of it, and why it was such uh, you know, a tantalizing experience, was because, A, I, and I'm sure a lot of you, just have an unhealthy relationship with money, have an unhealthy relationship with the idea of the American dream, what it means to be successful, what it means to have a house, uh, a beautiful spouse, a dog, a cat, 2.5 children, and a white picket fence. You know, we are, from, from, the, from the very, from the time we can really understand that we're American, like that idea has already supplanted itself in our head. And the interesting thing about the prosperity gospel is that it's not all the way not true. The prosperity gospel is a really solid lie because it's half true. It's half true. You know, God does want you to be pros uh, prosperous. God does want to bless you. What's the hilarious part of that is that the way you think he's going to make you prosperous and the way you think he's going to bless you is nothing like you think it's going to be. I've, I'm supposed to be on stage right now at a very large church with a fog machine. I did not anticipate being in an elementary school cafeteria in Chandler, Arizona, talking to you fine people. Which, by the way, you are the fine... Can I just say, churches like the well do not exist. They don't. They should exist more, I, I wish, oh. Yeah, see, God, God agrees. Churches, churches like the well, <laughs> that's not God, anyway. Churches like the well should exist more. You all are such thoughtful, patient, inclusive people. You are essentially Christian unicorns, all right? I've, I've been in a lot of churches. I've played in a lot of churches. It is not like this. <laughs> I want you to look at each other and feel blessed. I want you to look at each other and be like, wow. We have a really interesting, really vibrant, really thoughtful community here. And that isn't the case for most people. It wasn't the case for me growing up. And, and I say that because he, the experience of most people is a church that is feeding you an unhealthy narrative around giving, a church that is feeding you an unhealthy narrative about what it means to be blessed, a church that is feeding you an unhealthy narrative about, you know, what it means to be wealthy. 
And we're going to look at some scripture today that really proves that. But you might ask yourself, well, then why does the church believe that? Where did we go wrong? What happened? And that's also what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the history of the prosperity gospel, where it really comes from, and why it is so supplanted in the mainline Christian zeitgeist. And then, hopefully, by the end of all that, we arrive at not only a healthier picture of Jesus, but a healthier picture of what it means for us to, to be prosperous, what it means for us to not be rich in terms of our bank account, but rich in terms of our life. And that's why I'm a Christian. I go every day, I make the choice to be a Christian. And every day, it's not an easy choice. It's not. I'll be honest. But what always keeps me coming back to it, what always keeps me coming back to it, isn't this uh, promise that if I give a tenth of my salary, it will come back to me tenfold. It's not this idea that if I believe in God, I will somehow be free of cancer, be free of ailments, will never struggle. That's not why I'm a Christian, because that's not really, that hasn't been my experience. The reason why I'm a Christian is because there is nothing in this world, and I've tried it, trust me, I've tried it. There is nothing in this world that works for me like the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus has ordered my soul in such an advanced and in such a healthy way. When I first really started reading the Bible with the proper respect that the Bible reserve, uh, deserves, I finally reached a place where it didn't matter what was in my bank account. I felt rich. It didn't matter that I was suffering through a global pandemic. I found a reason to have joy. I hopefully am working towards what our Lord and Savior called an eternal life. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, but first, I would love to just set up this whole sermon with the biblical framework of Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And you might know this, uh, you might know this passage. It's called The Rich Man and Lazarus. And it goes like this. Now there was a rich man... And he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, enjoying himself in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus uh, was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed from the scraps which fell from this rich man's table. Not only that, the dogs also were coming and licking his sores. Now it happened that the poor man um, um, died and was carried away by the angels into the arms of Abraham, and a rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he raised his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his arms. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things. But now he's being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set, 
so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able, nor will any people cross over from there to us. And he said, then I request you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment as well. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them um, from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. May God add blessing on the reading of his word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come into this place to earnestly seek you, to earnestly seek the truth. And we're not here for confirmation bias, Lord. We really want it. We really want to come here and, 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 to, and to perhaps be, have our minds changed, to perhaps like, be open to what you have for us this morning. So please be with us, be with me, be with these folks as they, as they hear your word this morning. And I, I pray that you just help us to arrive at, at a healthier place. I pray that we all leave here today feeling healthier than we did when we first came here. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So, just to recap what we just read. We got two people, right? We got the rich man living his best life, wearing purple, because apparently that's cool. We have another guy, Lazarus. He is very poor, not wearing purple, has a bunch of sores. The dogs like to lick him. Great. They both die. They both die at the same time. The rich man goes to hell. He goes to Hades and is suffering. And Lazarus, who, who lived a very tortured existence on earth, is now in the arms of Abraham being comforted in this heavenly way. And the rich man says, whoa, 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 hold on. Abraham, please, like, help me. And he's like, I can't. You are in that place. I'm in this place. That is just, that's just what it is. And he says, well, like, please, like, go talk to my family. Like, have Lazarus go and talk to my family so that they'll be convinced that they really shouldn't live this, this life that will essentially lead to ruin. And Abraham's like, I wish I could, but I can't. Also, if they don't, if they haven't already believed it, despite all that they've been exposed to with Moses and the prophets, there is nothing I can do to save your family. Their fate is set. And, he, and I don't want you to walk away from this being like, are, is that going to happen to all rich people? Probably not. Probably not. This is very, uh, you know, this is not, this is not, I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm not going to read this literally to you and think, yep, this is going to happen exactly like this. That's not what I'm here to do today. But I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in this text. I think there's a lot to learn here. And I want this to be the framework as we go into um, this question that I'm at, about to ask you, which is, what is the prosperity gospel? Question, raise your hand if you think you know what the prosperity gospel is. Four people? Y'all, you know what the prosperity gospel is. You've seen Joel Osteen. You've seen Benny Hinn on TV. You know what the prosperity gospel is. Raise your hand, like really, who here thinks they they really know what the prosperity gospel is? Keep your hands up. Who here, and keep your hands up if you think that you can give me a one-sentence definition on the prosperity gospel. Ah, half of you are now putting your hands down. Okay, so the brave ones. Uh, you, sir, in one sentence, what is the prosperity gospel? Ooh, the love of money over the love of God. Not a textbook answer, but I will accept it. Okay. 
Yes. You give a lot, you get a lot. Oh my gosh, that reminds me of this song, oh, this haunting, stupid song that my dad used to play whenever he, like, he collected offering at his church. It was like, I think it was like a Michael W. Smith song, but it's, it went something like, Give and it will come back to you. Good measure, press down, shake it together and run it over. Give and it will come back to you. It was, it was like, honestly, the dumbest song I've ever heard. I still remember it after all these years, though. So in, in theory, I guess that means it's kind of a good song. But no, it's not. Terrible theology. Anyways, yes. Yes, that's true. Sorry for the singing and the dancing. I couldn't help myself. Anyways, I'm a worship leader. Sorry. Anyway, so that's good. Any other ideas about what the prosperity gospel is? Let me give you a really palatable, really easy definition. Jesus wants you to be wealthy and healthy. That's the prosperity gospel. Jesus wants you to be wealthy and healthy. And here's something really interesting about the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, as, as you do research on it, and there's so much good religious history on the prosperity gospel. Like, so if, you're really, if you really want to geek out with me about like, you know, some church history stuff, go ahead and find all the articles and all the books that I went through. It's some fascinating and horrifying stuff. But here's, here are my takeaways from my research on the prosperity gospel. First of all, and this shouldn't shock anyone, it is a uniquely American idea. It is a uniquely American idea. You know, the, 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 the roots of it come from America. This is not like, like, so like, you know, the early Christians were not, were not participating in prosperity gospel. You know, churches in Africa, churches in Asia, they weren't participating in prosperity gospel. All right, this is a very vapid American thing. <laughs> Something else that's kind of funny about it is that the roots of it aren't even coming, they don't even come from the church. The roots of the American prosperity gospel come from the American occult. Like early in the, 18, early in the 19th century. Isn't that kind of funny? My, my grandma is a really huge uh, proponent of, of the prosperity gospel. I would just, I'm not a petty person, but I just really wanted to call her yesterday and be like, hey, do you want to know something really cool? <laughs> because she, her head would explode if she found out that the roots of that theology come from the American occult, all right? Additionally, you know, it was propped up by a lot of famous celebrities like Ralph Waldo Emerson and William James, and uh, it, 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 it was adopted from this American occult idea called the New Thought. And the idea was that the individual was responsible for his or her own happiness, health, and situation in life, and that applying mental energy in the appropriate direction, was sufficient to cure any ills, was sufficient to essentially breathe your best life into existence. And this was a very popular idea. Again, like very famous celebrities uh, you know, were proponents of it. You know, I'm sure the authors wrote a lot of stories around it. And as Americans who can't help but see the world, the Bible, the world, anything, without a cultural lens, they took this idea and they Christianized it. They took this idea and they Christianized it. Okay, and flash forward to uh, you know to, to 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 more modern times, we see pro-capitalists and, and Pentecostal Pentecostal churches in America. They adopt this cultural framework and they allow it to essentially serve as glasses for their theology. And churches, they begin to contort scripture, like you know the fact that Jesus wants to live wants you to live abundantly. Jesus wants you to, to be prosperous, and they essentially apply this idea of prosperity to their scripture readings. Flash forward even more so 
you know, to uh, the televangelist movement, you know, with Oral Roberts and all those folks. And they are able to not only take that and use it to pack their churches all over America, but they took the show on the road. They took the show on the road. They, 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 they packed stadium after stadium, filling people with this idea that Jesus wants you wealthy and healthy. All of our life's blessings are accessed via the cross. If you are not a Christian, good luck, man. You are doomed. And if you give to the Lord, it is biblical, technically biblical, that you will get it back tenfold. Oh, wow, Jesus is now our cosmic banker. We are now not only interested in, like, you know, this community that gives us vibrant things. Or now I can, if I just give them my tithes and offering, I will be rich. Let me just say, I grew up poor. I'm a very intelligent person. I'm not, like, I don't, like, I'm not one of those people that, like, just, like, you know, gets, like, tricked into, like, those pyramid schemes. I'm not one of those people that, you know, will, like, stay on the phone with the telemarketer. I am very, like, adept to people trying to take my money. And yet, that narrative got me right away. I was 22 years old, and that narrative got me right away. And what's really dangerous about that narrative is that when you tell people that, you also have to acknowledge that the opposite is true, right? So if you're not currently wealthy, if you're not currently healthy, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. You don't have enough faith. You haven't given enough of your finances. You are a sinner that needs to repent. And let me just say, guilt in the church works. I am living proof that guilt in the church works. And so Joel Osteen is just like having a field day with this theology, and it's working left and right. His churches are just like, are, 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 are growing by the thousands. And then you got this guy, Benny Hinn. Did anybody ever watch Benny Hinn on, on TV growing up? What would Benny Hinn always do? You would fall over. He was able, he could make you faint. He could make you faint. He would, he, he would have like a stage with a row of, uh, of wheelchairs, empty wheelchairs, because his claim was that he was able to make people who were paralyzed walk if they had faith. And he would go around the country taking your money because, like he said, he wanted you to be healthy, he wanted you to be wealthy. So as long as you give your tithe and offering to him, you could do it. And again, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Something else that's funny, I actually knew somebody that was on stage with him who, during one of those services. My friend Gary Gillespie, he's actually the technical director for the Suns Arena. And he said, as he was getting touched, Benny Hinn told him, I need you to fall down and lie down. Isn't that horrifying? I remember watching just being like, is that true? Are those people like really, really fainting? Are those people really standing up? They were all actors. Can you believe that? This man, wanting to, uh, to really do right by the Lord, wanting to spread the Christian message, was uh, participating in a ruse. Woof. That doesn't horrify you. I don't, know if, I don't know if anything will. Flash forward to 2008. What happened in 2008? Recession, the market crash. 
and The Atlantic writes a really great think piece, a very controversial one, but a really prominent one, talking about how a substantial cause of the 2008 crash were evangelical Christians taking out bad loans in faith. Flash forward to 2015. What happened in 2015? What was going on in 2015? A really important thing was happening. Two people were trying to, to, to get something. What were, they, what were they trying to get? The presidency, right? And evangelicals are making a choice. Should I vote for Donald Trump, the man who bragged about sexually assaulting women, the man who is uh, in, in being investigated for all sorts of fraud, the man that uh, on the microphone in front of everyone like made really misogynistic jokes, who uh, also made fun of a reporter with a disability. They were making the choice to vote for this person. And you're all thinking, no, they're not gonna vote for him. They voted for him. You wanna know why they voted for him? Because Donald Trump is rich. And it was already rooted in their head. How could Donald Trump be a bad person if he's rich? The Lord must love Donald Trump. The Lord is blessing Donald Trump. Paula White said that with her own, with her own rhetoric. If Donald Trump isn't anointed, why is he so rich? Why is he being put in a, in a situation where he can essentially take the Christian church all the way? And by the way, this, this phenomenon that I'm talking about, a lot of really great books on it right now. I highly recommend it. Uh, Thoughts of uh, um, Postcards from Babylon, highly recommend. In fact, like our Wednesday group, raise your hand for part of the Wednesday group. Yo, I love you. Good to see you in person. We, um, we, we, we do this book series every Wednesday. We, we're kind of on a break right now, but every Wednesday we take a really great book and we read it together and we talk about it. And it's just been, oh man, it's been a lot of fun. It, I've, I feel like I've learned a lot of stuff. And I've read more books like during this COVID period than I have in like the last five years. So thank you, The Well. You know, glad you all like to read. So these are my takeaways here from all that we've just talked about. Christianity, whether you want to believe it or not, will bend to culture. We are all cultural people. You know, there is nobody that can read the Bible culture-free. But what that means also is that as Christians, the work of Christianity is acknowledging our culture, acknowledging our biases, doing all of the necessary identity work so that as we go to read the scripture, we don't run amok with it, right? That's why we have the Wednesday group. That's why we have churches like the well that are supposed to thoughtfully curate a biblical experience for you that isn't going to make you an objectively more terrible person, <laughs> right? That's what we're here to do today, hopefully. And also, we have to acknowledge that Christians, and I don't even just mean evangelicals, I mean myself, I mean perhaps even people in this room, we have to process this unhealthy narrative that we've been fed our whole lives about what it means to be prosperous, what it means to be rich, what it means to chase fame, what it means to be Instagram famous, what it means to be all those things. Because I don't believe that Jesus wants you to be rich. I do believe he wants you to be prosperous, but I don't think he wants you to be rich. And I think that the, the scripture that we're about to go over really dictates that especially the one that we just read, all right? 
If, 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 if being rich is an indicator of, of piety, if being rich is an indicator that I have a good life, that I am doing good things and therefore God is blessing me, how do we reconcile the rich man and Lazarus? How do we reconcile that? Why, why would God allow for this rich man to have all the wealth, and yet he is seemingly a, a person that has lived a life that has led him to a ruin, has led him to, to Hades, has led him to you know, a, a, a spiritually barren place? I don't think that Jesus is saying in the scripture that he wants us to be rich. So let's, let, me, let me also give you another, another passage that, 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 that dictates this as well. And this one comes from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 26. It is titled, The Rich Young Ruler. Who here has read this one? Show of hands. Of course you have. This is, this is, this is a classic, you guys. A classic. Sorry, I just sounded really nerdy there. Anyway, we're going to project it on the screen. And it goes like this. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do so that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Let me say this statement one more time. I don't want you to walk away from this saying, thinking that Ezekiel thinks all rich people are going to hell. I don't. I don't. Um, but I think that there is much spiritual wisdom here. And this actually tells us really all we need to know about the prosperity gospel. The reason why Jesus doesn't want you to be rich is because Jesus thinks that being rich is a curse. It is. Have you met a rich person? Were they ever happy? Ever? <laughs> also, think about this. And this is where I think like kind of the hidden layer is here, and a little bit of exegesis is important. When Jesus says, this person will not enter the kingdom of heaven, they're not saying that this person uh, hasn't received salvation, rich people can't go to heaven. I don't think that this is what they're saying. Um, the, what he's really trying to say is that this person cannot have an eternal life. Who here thinks they know what an eternal life means? Raise your hand if you think you know what an eternal life means. Sir, what does an eternal life mean? That's a good, not a textbook answer, but a good answer. I will accept it, sir. Thank you. Matt, what do you, what do you think an eternal life means? Yes, an abundant life. That's good. That's good. So when you hear in the Bible this concept of an eternal life, again, fundamentalists have, uh, have, have made that believe that that means heaven or that means like, you know, living eternally with Jesus. And that's not like not true. 
But that's not necessarily what it means for this. An eternal life is a full, rich, abundant life to be had here on earth. That's what that means. A life so rich, so full, so in lockstep with God, with a soul so ordered that you will have a life that echoes into eternity. You will have a life that feels so beautiful and pure and at peace. And it doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter that you have cancer. It doesn't matter that life just seemingly never goes your way. When you walk with Jesus, you will feel joy. You will feel rich. And that is the prosperity gospel, the real one. I get it. Saying that you give 10% and you get back 100%, that's sexier than what I just said. I, I, I will not, I'm not immune to materialism. But the good news here is that Jesus doesn't want you to be rich because he thinks being rich is bad for you. <laughs> he wants you to be prosperous. But just know that the work of Christianity, the work of us as we walk with Jesus, is undoing what we think prosperity means. Undoing what we think having a rich life means. And I know that that's hard. I know that it's hard to be on Instagram right now. I know that it's hard for you to see your neighbor have a bigger house. I'm not, I'm not like some guy that's just immune to that. I get, I get why that's hard. But I'll tell you this. This man, the rich young ruler, he had everything. He had everything. And yet he felt spiritually empty. And the real horror of, of this is that he knows what to do. He knows that if he really wants what he's missing, he just has to do exactly what Jesus wants him to do. And the tragedy of it is that he can't. He can't. That is true hell right there. Is it not? For you to know the answer, to, for you to know what is good for you, but you are too spiritually weak to pull the trigger on it because you are a slave to your money. You are a slave to your fame. You are a slave to your job. You are a slave to your comfort. That is hell on earth. And that is what Jesus was trying to lead us away from. Jesus was trying to lead us to a place of true prosperity. Jesus was trying to lead us to a place where, again, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, at every step, was trying to undo this narrative that somehow money is the way. That somehow this material wealth, that, that what we have on this earth is the way to our happiest lives. And a lot of the times it still feels that way. I get it. There are very few people in here that can live happily as a homeless person. Right? So I, wanna, I, I don't want you to walk away from it being like, oh man, I gotta, you know, Jezekiel's right. I gotta sell all my possessions <laughs> and I gotta really go for it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you put yourself in a personal hell when all you can think about is what's in your bank account or what your neighbor has or whatever it is that is really like holding you back. The gospel, the true Jesus wants to liberate you. The true Jesus wants to liberate you. That's what all this is. 
And what the biggest problem with the American prosperity gospel is that it puts you in more shackles. It puts you in more shackles in the name of God. That should offend you. Your church has a responsibility to you. Ryan and I have a responsibility to you to give you the word and to allow it to help you live your best life. And if we are not doing that, please leave this church. Can I tell you about another phenomenon that also kind of concerns me? So let me, let me tell you about this phenomenon. And I've seen it a lot in progressive circles. I've seen it a lot in progressive churches. And I don't want to get too much of a soapbox about it. I just want to let you know it's something I notice. You know, a lot of us, we came from one of those unhealthy churches, right? We did. We came from those healthy churches. They gave us a really unhealthy narrative about, about giving. And I know for myself, I gave a large, large, large portion of my salary to the church for many, many years. And when I deconstructed and like, thought about what happened back there, I was very, very skeptical to give to another church ever again. And I feel like a lot of these progressive churches that I've been a part of, uh, that's been the same, the same mentality. And I think that that is unhealthy too. We can, we can learn to love again, can we not? But, it, but also, churches like the well, churches like one church, they rely not on a conference, on a giant Southern Baptist conference that's essentially paying their bills until they're, 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 they're up on their feet. It's not, you know, we're not giving you this prosperity gospel and raking it in. Ryan sells a full-time job, <laughs> all right? But at the same time, you know, we want places like the well to exist. And the places like the well can only exist with your help. And that's the truth. And I hope that we all think about that. And I hope that we all acknowledge that places like the wall can exist if we, if, if we are too scared to give. And I get that it can be scary. It's even scary for myself. Um, and, and for some of you who aren't in a position to give, please don't. That's, we don't want money from people who can't afford to give us money. But maybe give us your time. Maybe help out in other ways. Maybe, maybe really be a part of this community. Maybe show up for our, for our connect group to really, really be a part of this. Really own this space that we've, that we've created for you. We want it. It's yours. And we get it. Some of you are here because you have churches that don't let you go there. You have churches that, you know, have, uh, have, have an unhealthy view of your, of, of your point of view, have an unhealthy view of your, of your identity. Not here at the well, though. You can be a doubter and come to the well. You can. You can be LGBT and come to the well. You can, you can be really anything and come to the well. And we will take you and we will love you the way Jesus loves you. We promise you that. And if we don't, please leave. I'm going to call Matt up and I'm going to close with this. When I think about how we um, can really view prosperity, how we can go uh, throughout this week and really meditate on what we talked about today. I want to ask you these questions, and I really want you to be honest. Don't answer them out loud, but just answer them to yourself. What is my relationship with wealth? What is my relationship with money? And does it get it in the way of my spiritual peace? Does it get in the way of me being my best self as a Christian? Really ask yourself that. Really ask yourself, where is my money going? Is it going to serve myself? Is it going to serve something greater than myself? Could it be, could it be moved around in ways that help more people? Could it be moved around in ways that help you know, people who need a church find a church? 
The third thing I want you to think about this week in regards to prosperity is how can we make meaning of the seemingly not prosperous times of our life and view them as prosperous? Again, the global pandemic was the worst time of my life. It was the worst time of my life. But there was so much growth, so much joy when you really made meaning of that suffering. I think about what I walked away from back there with Prosperity Gospel Jesus, and, I, and, and sometimes I'm like, oh man, I could be a senior pastor right now. I could be this, I could, I, I, I could have a giant church. And that's something I need to pray about. That's something that I need to really think, like, why is that important? Why do we put such an emphasis on, on people who are successful, on people who uh, are, have like those senior roles? Or why can't I just be happy being on a teaching team with Ryan, which in fairness to that, I am immensely happy with that. I want us to feel liberated. I want us to, 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 to really have a Christian walk where we can really say, uh, you know, my life feels like it is overflowing. My life feels as if, you know, I never have to think or worry about money. I don't have a lot of it. I don't have a lot of it, but I don't have to think about it so much. And I, it doesn't control. It doesn't control my soul in any way. I want us to, to to curate a life experience in which we can honestly say it is well with my soul. That's what I'm hoping for. That's the direction that I'm in right now. And again, there is no fog machine that can ever <laughs> give me as much joy as that. There is no pastoral salary or parsonage that is good enough to replace that feeling that I am heading in the direction of an eternal life. And I want that for you. God wants that for you. If that's not where you are right now, that's okay. Your life is long. You have good people that will help you. But more than that, I want you to walk away from today. I want you to walk away from today with this idea that God wants you to be prosperous. You just have to be okay with what that really means. And if you can be okay with what that really means, I promise you, life will feel exactly that prosperous rich, eternal. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. That's why we're here. And we want to always feel your presence. We want to, uh, we want you to work on us, Lord. And Lord, when we pray prayers like, Lord, bless us. Lord, give us prosperity. Help us to not have such a human perspective on what that is. And help us to be okay with knowing that you will prosper us. You will keep your promise. You will help us where we need help. But we have to be okay with what that really looks like. And we have to be okay knowing that when we say, Lord, bless us, that is a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer, but, we, but, we, but in faith we step into it because we know it will always lead to a life eternal.
We pray all of this in your name. Amen.